Welcome along to our Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest today is Zohar Gonen. Zohar, shalom. Kia ora. Shalom. How are you? I'm all right. How's your Maori? Not too good yet. Not <laughs> working on it. Working, working on it. progress. <laughs> all right. You've been in the country, what is it, uh, 11, 12 years now? It's going to be 12 years in, in February, actually. All right, just just before we, because we want to get into some teaching today, uh, and we, we're going to take a look at Psalm 8, but uh, just take us on the journey that got Zohar gone into Dunedin. Oh, dear. Um, so we came to Hawke's Bay first and foremost. And in Hawke's no, Bay... You've, even before New Zealand. You, I mean, your family oh. came to Israel. Oh, wow. Oh. It was uh, just a little fellow, four... Um, my family, we moved back from the USSR, from the Soviet Union, yep. to Israel. And we actually were very um, blessed that we were allowed to go out at that time in 1975. And uh, actually, there was a little incident with my mom. She, she wasn't allowed to leave the Soviet Union. Okay. She was a kindergarten teacher. And... They decided that she has to stay, but the rest of us we can go. Oh, <laughs> why not split the family up? Yeah, obviously we wouldn't leave mom behind. So my dad uh, got some kind of a enormous guts, and he went and uh, rang from a public phone to the Ministry of Internal Affairs in the Soviet Union in Ukraine. And he said that this is inspector so and so speaking. And they understood he was an officer in the KGB. <laughs> For some reason, uh, they kind of uh, swallowed it. Yeah. He said, why don't you let citizen so and so leave the country? And she, got, she was granted permission immediately to leave. All right. So this is 1974. Yep. Yep. 1975. So you made, made Aliyah. Yeah, Aliyah. That's right. That's when Jewish people immigrate to Israel. It's called Aliyah. Yeah, coming coming back to the land. Is it, what's yeah. the translation of that? It's actually an ascension. Ascension. You, yeah, it's like Aliyah. Um, in the back in the days, you would go up to Jerusalem. Come, let yeah. us go up to Jerusalem to the mountain of the Lord. So that's uh, that's Aliyah. You. you you are doing an ascension. Yeah, and pretty much, I mean, I remember when uh, Sharon and I were in Israel, from from everywhere, you're always going up to Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that doesn't matter where you're from. <laughs> Even if you're uh, living higher than Jerusalem, you have to go yeah. down. You've got to go down and, and then go yeah. come back up to Jerusalem. Uh, so, what again, what took you from Israel to, to New Zealand? How did you get here? So... At some stage after the army, I came to faith uh, in Yeshua. And a um, few years down the track, I met my wife in the congregation back in Israel. Got married. Um, life um, tackled us mm -hmm. um, in Israel. And it's not always uh, an easy um, going life. But I was working as an engineer in a telecommunication company and and um, things were okay. It wasn't too bad, but I felt there wasn't something more to life than just 
going to work and not seeing my children until very yeah. night. Yeah. So, so I, I thought maybe um, God is calling me to full-time ministry. And we really started feeling this enormous sensation that um, I wanted to know more. And I wanted to deepen my understanding in scripture. And so we started contemplating on going to a Bible college. And um, lo and behold, New Zealand came on the horizon at that very time. And so we started uh, looking everywhere uh, that they, in any country that speak English. Uh, but New Zealand was like, um, keep coming, popping up. Yeah, so, so you you found a Bible college in New Zealand that could yes. teach a Messianic Jew about his faith? Uh, well, that's the thing. You, <laughs> you don't always... Um, okay, there, let's say there are some very strong um, understandings that a Messianic Jew has and some very, very um, solid understandings that the Bible college doesn't always can add on to that yeah but having said that um there are still gaps uh, that a messianic jew wouldn't know um for example church history i wouldn't have a clue um, right how it looks like what happened neither do the rest of us so don't forget <laughs> um, no, first, uh, first there was jesus and then martin luther did something and now we're all here you know yeah, pretty much, but uh, but yeah, there's there were some 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 gaps that you don't you don't um, really get exposed to growing yeah. up in Israel. And so yeah, on. so what I mean, you you now dig really deep into the scriptures and you teach on that as well. What what brought that about? Was it just from Zohar's personal hunger? Oh. Actually, um, yes, uh, that's one aspect of it. I think the most uh, significant aspect is when, uh, when a person is uh, actively sharing the gospel, especially with Jewish people, uh, there are a lot of questions that are popping up. And yeah. uh, with these questions, you start uh, digging deeper into the scriptures to come up with the answers. And so many of my Bible um, teachings are stem from, um, from just the experience of sharing the gospel and, and uh, encountering questions that yeah. needed some answers. So when you say scriptures in this instance, because I know that, that your heart is towards uh, your own people to introduce them to Yeshua. Oh, yeah. So when you say digging into the scriptures, you're meaning the Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures. Mainly the Old Testament. Um, uh, this is, um, of course, the foundation for the New Testament. Yeah. But um, you'll be surprised how many young Israelis um, would be open and very much uh, curious about the New Testament because the New Testament is a novelty to them. And yes. uh, so it has to be both ways and if you if you do find something in the old testament um like a really hidden truth it's always has to be yeah. somehow backed up with the new testament 
Yeah, we. I mean, we were just talking before. Uh, let me just hold this up to this camera. This this book by uh, Roger Levy, the Messiah in the Temple. Yes. And um, it's. I mean, that's a that's a thick book, but that's <laughs> just looking at the temple and how, uh, you know, the old saying that we used to have was. Um, talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. Yes. And I love delving into books like this to, to find my Messiah, my Jesus in the Old Testament, in the temple. Oh, you know, very, and very and I'm, a, I'm assuming that I can find him in the columns in the yeah. temple as well. I think it's very, very important that connection, especially in regards to even prophecies from the Old Testament, how they are revealed in both now in, in now day and age, uh, in the life of Jesus, yep. that came after the Old Testament was sealed. And, um, and this component is so important to the faith of, of um, Christians, of born-again believers, especially the young people. I think one of the reasons why the people um, you see um, many young people just walk away is because we in our churches remove the anchor of prophecy from from their um, uh, from their foundation the, so the Old Testament prophecies that, that are, mainly the have been fulfilled and, yeah but funnily enough even the prophecies in the New Testament are, are removed from the weekly teachings in the churches. Maybe it's because it's too controversial. Maybe it's because mm. people just don't want to go there. I, I think a lot of times too, uh, because I mean, one of the things that we like to do at Know My Faith is to uh, bring the scriptures from the historical cultural perspective so that we understand this. But if, as some denominations have done, you remove that historical cultural perspective, the prophecy doesn't make sense anymore. No, but also it becomes just a fairy tale because yeah. it doesn't have anything to to stand on. Uh, it's it's just some story that happened long, long time ago in the land far, far, far away. Yeah, I mean uh, Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, God says, talking about the the new covenant, the New Testament. Yeah. He says, "I will make a new covenant with Israel and Judah." Yeah, that's in Jeremiah he, 31. Yeah, sorry, Jeremiah. So he's talking literal Israel and Judah, yes. not spiritual. But if you have removed literal Israel and Judah from your theology, oh, yeah. how are you going to make sense of that prophecy? Yeah, it's, um, it's a big issue um, when you remove uh, components yeah. of the faith, like like the people of Israel who are uh, happen to be an anchor, one of the anchors to to our contemporary faith. If you remove that, you know, if God is not faithful to Israel, and um, and the fact that we still exist is is, yeah. uh, is a marvel because uh, it's, it's, we shouldn't it's, we shouldn't it's a miracle. Yeah, we shouldn't exist in the natural. You shouldn't have existed lots of times in the natural. <laughs> exactly. But I like um, Howard Bass, who who pastors in Besheva. Oh, yes. um, and he said with that passage from Jeremiah, and he says, well, so if God breaks this covenant 
with Israel, which he says, I won't break in, unless I break my covenant with day and night. He says, what happens to the people in New Zealand? You die. Same as, you know, if, if God is going to break those, then throw out all his covenants, throw out all his promises. Yeah, that's uh, definitely is uh, something that affects us. If God is not faithful to his promises to the Jewish people, what makes him uh, reliable to the promises he made to us? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally sense and plus uh, in that we're not going to talk about that passage but in that passage it says to the house of Israel to Judah and um, I don't recall ever the church being called Judah no so so that makes a big problem there no we didn't steal that one we only stole the Israel one <laughs> um, so what we are going to look at as we look at uh, call it uh, Messiah in the Tanakh or Jesus in the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, let's look at Psalm 8. Totally. So um, just to give you a background, I think uh, in, the, um, in the context of uh, why this, this uh, passage came up as a Bible study uh, is, again, one of those uh, moments where I was asked, well, you claim, uh, you claim, um, yeah, Messianic believer, you claim that Jesus was uh, born uh, divine. Okay, well, where is that in the Old Testament? Where is that incarnation um, to back it up, to yep. back up that story in the New? And so one of those uh, passages, um, Messianic, it's a Messianic Psalm, Psalm 8, and because, first of all, it's being repeated several times in the New Testament. So it talks about Jesus. It talks about mm -hmm. um, a hidden way in a hidden way. So, so that's one of those those um, really hidden hidden uh, um, meanings of the, yeah. of the passage. That's that's where the new is in the old concealed. It, it was always exactly. there. We just didn't see it. It was always there, but yeah, yeah you, it was very hard for us to spot it. Especially if you don't know Hebrew, yeah, you will get really tangled up with um, wrong interpretations. So, shall I start and read a few verses, and uh, and then we can go from there? Yeah, by all means. All right. So, Psalm eight: O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's a beautiful psalm. And uh, yeah. I just wanted to point out that the, the structure of this psalm, if you take it to our culture, is structured like a hamburger, right? Yeah, you yeah. Or the, bookends, we say. Uh, yeah. But, but ha hamburger. Yeah, hamburger is yeah. much better. Yeah. You have the bun on the top, you know, the 
praising yeah. the Lord in the beginning, praising the Lord at the end. You have the lettuce and tomatoes and and the sauce yeah. in the form of God's general creation and how he made the moon and the stars, the the babies that form in the mother's womb. Yeah. Um, later on, it talks about at the end of the psalm, just before the end, it talks about all the animal kingdom, those on the land, the birds in the air, and the fish in the sea. So that's the beef patty in the middle or the fish patty in the middle? No, that's still the, the lettuce and tomato. Okay. Yeah. And now uh, when you look at the, um, basically verses, uh, the, ver the middle verses, that's, yep. that's the patty. And if that's, you, that's, that's the meat of the, of that's the, the meat. That's yeah. the men, mankind. We're talking about human beings. Yeah. Yep. But, what? um, but yeah, I'll ask yeah, what, you, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yeah. yeah that's the essence of, of, uh, or the middle part of this Psalm. So the focus obviously falls on that portion. Yeah. You think about a, a hamburger. What's the most important part in the hamburger? Well, the meat, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially if you're on keto. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, then meat is like really, really important. So this, um, this, this beginning of the meat. What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? This is repeated uh, in the New Testament. Totally, and um, I think what uh, what's really going on here is completely wrong translation uh, in the English. So much so that some some uh, English versions have have um, added on to the meaning right. and uh, they they speak in plurality meaning um, both both verses are well the first so what is mankind that you are mindful of them yeah yeah and, and that is and that is fine when it comes to that verse but in the next verse it would be completely wrong to translate it in plurality that's the um, you've uh, made I him a little lower. Make them a little lower. That that's that would be that would be wrong. Wrong completely. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to that. We'll we'll talk about it. Why? And um, you know when I also look at uh, different translations uh, or commentaries on that psalm, um, some of them are very very uh, prominent commentaries. Um, I find them to be completely wrong. I'll give you an example. Because they're lacking the historical cultural context? And the language. They and the language. Really get the language and, and seeing it for what it is. Um, this is a commentary by James Montgom Montgomery Boyce. And he's a very uh, respected commentator yep. of the Book of Psalms. He died in 2000. He was... a uh, uh, pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he was the president and co-founder of the Alliance of uh, Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, so many actually uh, commentators, um, they rely on other commentators and rely on other commentators. Yeah. It goes, it goes like oh, that. Hang on, the, the Jewish sages do the same, you know, as, as the Reb said, as, you yeah. know. True. And this is what he says about uh, verse uh, 4 and 5. Yet that is what God does. And not only that, not only does God think 
of us and care for us, which is what verse four asserts, he also crowned us. See the plurality here? Crowned yeah. us with glory and honor. This means that he has given human beings mere specks in this vast universe, a significance and honor above everything else he has created. But, you know, if we, if we look at how God created mankind in the beginning and the fact that he's given mankind or men, first men, yeah. dominion over the animal kingdom, that would be true. But when it comes to this psalm, it actually falls very flat. It's not. I mean, the, the funny thing is, Zohar, that, that you should be able to understand that if you connect the psalm with Hebrews 2. Because Absolutely. in Hebrews 2, it's explained that that verse is talking about Messiah. The problem is that people tend to think that the author of Hebrews uh, went a little bit on a tangent or let, went too far. In, right. um, and they think that maybe both translations or interpretations can be valid. Can God should have picked that up and made that more clearer for us in the Bible, shouldn't he? <laughs> he made it very clear. <laughs> anyway, let's look at um, verse 4. Yeah. Um, what does it say in your translation? It's uh, Well, I've got the ESV up here, uh, yep. which is, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Excellent. So the Hebrew actually is a little bit different. By the way, the old King James and the new King James say something different. What is man that you mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Yeah, and that's then right. You, you suddenly get a whole different understanding. And what, it, what is it actually saying in Hebrew is that what is meant that you remember him, that, you, uh, that your mind is, is even considering him, in, another, in other words. Yeah. And the son of man, that you visit him in order to care. Now, in other words, it's not a polite type of visit when you go to a friend knocking on his door and say, hey, let's have a cuppa together. Yeah, it's a different kind of visitation. It's a visitation in order to assist, to aid in a time of trouble, in a time of need. Yeah, um, James says that true religion is um, abstaining from polluting oneself with the things of the world and aiding aiding orphans, the widows and orphans, orphans yeah. in their distress. The word there is the same word as here, lifkod, which means coming physically to the rescue. Yeah, doing something. I was just listening to C.S. Lewis' uh, Mere Christianity when he talks about that with love. And it's the old saying, that love isn't a feeling, love is an action, it's a verb. So in here, uh, when it says the son of man, that you care for him, it's caring by coming and doing something for him. Yeah, and it actually has to be, in the Hebrew, it has to be a physical an action. appearing, uh, appear, a physical oh, okay. visitation. Yeah. In order to aid, in order to assist. So, so for a even for a, a non-messianic Jew to read this, uh, a God-fearing Jew, yeah. this is saying, "Who is the Son of Man that you, God, would physically appear to him?" Yeah, that's actually what stems from this psalm, and 
if if someone knows biblical Hebrew knows the word lifkod, lifkod is actually coming to the rescue physically. I can uh, see a few Jewish rabbis also kind of going a little bit off tangent with it in a commentary if we're talking about God physically coming to rescue man. Yeah, um, that that would basically be an oxymoron. Yeah. Because, um, in a sense, David, the psalmist, um, sees that, hey, um, you know, we shouldn't be on God's mind. He shouldn't remember us in the vast uh, universe and the way he created everything. We shouldn't be so significant at all. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you if God is coming to visit us, uh, it shouldn't be right. We shouldn't we shouldn't be paid a visit by God. Yeah. That's um, that's completely out of character. So this is this is even more than a rhetorical questions or two rhetorical questions. Yeah, it's completely uncomprehensible uncom that God would come and actually care in order to visit yeah. and aid us physically. And yet, it's also written as a um, an established fact and something that he has done. Yeah, and is doing. It's not like oh no, well, you wouldn't think of us. It's it's. You did. You shouldn't have thought of us. How come you did? Yeah, and that actually um, ties very, very well with the story of Christmas, because um, now people uh, have um, thought in the Christian circles about the birth of Jesus at this time of year. Of course, he didn't. He wasn't born at this time of year, but. Yeah. But this is what is generally celebrated his birth. I think that's the most important component of the gospel. Because people, uh, when they think about the gospel, they think about his death, his resurrection, ascension. But the fact is that he came to be one of us. Um, he, he became a human being. Yeah. Is, is the most astonishing part of the gospel because why would god do that why would yeah. god even care about us to become a human being like us uh, that's humiliating yeah yeah and <laughs> i mean we could get so sidetracked on that but but it's the, the more you read the the full scriptures and okay. the more you understand that it, it's just the more you just keep going wow oh yeah so wow. the gospel, the gospel can't be divorced from the person of Yeshua, the person yeah. of Jesus, the Messiah. He is the gospel. He came to be a human being, because if he wasn't a human being, all of that wouldn't be um, the the sacrifice wouldn't be acceptable to God. No. His blood would be an artificial one; wouldn't be a yeah. real. One. Yeah. So he had to be become a human being. So, in, so verse four, yeah. Uh, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Is is that the the son of man? Is that the same him in verse five when it says no. you've made him a little lower? No. Oh, okay. So uh, verse four, we're talking about mankind. Right. Mm -hmm. So the son of man there is generally mankind. Yeah, because uh, usually. When, when in the Hebrew, the son of man, or the way yeah. that Jesus would have um, relate to himself, 
in the Gospels. Yeah. The son of men is Ben Ha'adam, like with the with the letter Hey in front of the yeah. word Adam. Yeah. But this is Ben Adam, meaning uh, it's just human beings. It's not Ben Ha'adam in um, talking about the son of man. Uh, because in the English, it does say the son of man. So that's where we miss that again. No, it's uh, my well, depending, depending on which translation you've got. In Hebrew, it's my nosh kitiskerenu u ben adam kitifkedenu, not ben ha'adam. Yeah. It's ben adam. Let me ben look adam. it up in this other one of Don's. What's your translation, Don? New American. All right, let me... Uh, New American. Psalm. Somewhere near the middle, I think, isn't it? Yeah, Psalm 8. <laughs> in the middle. Find it, Rob. Psalm 8, verse... Four. Oh, no, it's, so it says that here as well. What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man? So in English, we've got the the the, the in there. Maybe the, the idea is the, the human race. But yeah, yeah that's what it should be. Talking about, it's not talking about the Messiah. Yeah, so you could make that mistake by not knowing the Hebrew language in the original. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so... Because the verse four is so um, completely amazing uh, yeah. in its in its content and its understanding, it's so revolutionary that it needs a real good answer to what is going on here, what is happening, and if if it's true that the <laughs> the God of the universe is going to come for a visitation to visit us and to help us, then we have to understand how it's going to take place. And the question that um, that is asked immediately is how? How yeah. is it going to take place? So you would, uh, in the Hebrew, you would ask that, gosh, we're stuck on one verse, because in English, it's that's that totally, totally, yeah, it's totally missing in the English, because it simply uses that word that you would care for him. And caring for is like, um, I, I care for my guitar. Ways to care for someone. Yeah, but but it's like it's like for us, it's more like a feeling than an action. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so we totally miss the fact that there's the action. And again, this is uh, part of that whole Greek um, Hebrew mindset, where in in the Greek words mean thoughts and things, as opposed to in Hebrew, it's always tied in with an action. True, um, but it's more, it gets more revolutionary as we go along. <laughs> so let's move on to the next yeah. verse, verse 5. And it says in the English translation, in all English translations, basically, it says, read yeah. please. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Excellent. Thank you. So the problem is, that uh, that um, that's a big mistranslation. Now you know Hebrew a little bit, don't you? Yeah. Okay, you, you probably know two words that I'm going to ask you. What okay. is the word for create? Creates. No, that's gone. Bereshit. Bereshit. Oh yes, yeah. Bereshit bara bara. The word bara. bara. Create. Um, what is the word for made? Made is a different word. I know that. Asa. Asa. Basically, um, if you want to say God is made or God is created, you would use one of those two words. Right. 
the thing is it doesn't it's not appearing here at all in this uh, verse five. Oh, neither, neither of those words neither neither <laughs> of those words. <laughs> as a matter of fact there is a word that is very interesting it's called uh, it says tachserehu tachserehu you will make him lower you will basically the word is you will you have demoted him demoted demoted I love it. When I was, um, I spent time with Israel Harrell yeah. uh, when we were in Israel, and he would say, he says, get out your King James Bible, read me this verse, and I'd read it to him, and he'd go, that's not what it says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it says, you have demoted him to be lower in Hebrew than God, or gods, mm -hmm. and you crowned him with glory and honor. So in other words, the demotion here can only mean that the person that was demoted was higher in rank before he was demoted. Yes. So that means it wasn't us. We're not talking about human beings anymore. No, because we were not higher. Exactly. We were created in the rank, in the position where we are at now. Yeah. Right? But that person... And that's actually answering the question, how God is going to come and visit us. So put that, put that in time order, because what that, what's that saying now is you've demoted him, and the him here is singular? Yep. Yeah, so you, you demoted him yes. lower than the angels. Yes. So the crowned him with glory and honor, is that in his demoted state, or is that no, in... No, that's a, that's a paradox. Um, that's the paradox part of the demotion and promotion, I would call it. Yeah. Because it runs through the entire scriptures. And when you look at um, different parts of the Messiah, Messiah, for example, if you, uh, the most famous is Isaiah 53. Yeah. But it starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant or my slave will prosper, he will act wisely. You will be lifted up and highly exalted. How can a slave be high, lifted up and highly exalted like God is? Yeah. And that's that, That's the paradox of the, the, the motion and promotion, the humiliation and exaltation. Yeah. And it runs which, which God all. did through Joseph as well, as that's we right. well know, you know. That's right. Uh, I better qualify too, because we're going to say, you know, with, with, with Israel saying that's not what it says. The, the English is correct, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. <laughs> but the problem is that we have so many different meanings of the word made that's that, right. we, that we've taken the wrong meaning. So the translators of the Bible have done a good job, but we just, we just get the wrong well, meaning from it. They did a good job in the sense that they used um, what was available, I guess, to describe that demotion yeah uh, but um i would use a different word i would use the word diminish or demote or yeah. to make it very clear what what's taking place here and some some uh, translations like the niv if you take it um you'll see that it's talking it's translated to say that he have made us meaning all human beings yeah. a little lower than the angels and so um, so they actually done a very bad job in translating yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, but even the commentaries don't pick up on that. And yeah. uh, so there's a huge time frame in this verse five from the from the demotion of making him a little lower than the heavenly beings and to then the crowning. eventual crowning him with glory yes. and honor, which is, is that, is that uh, implied in the Hebrew language? Or is that, again, is that missing? Yeah, we only know that because of hindsight. Um, the way it says, um, it's, the way it's written, it's supposed to shock us. It's supposed to bring us to a place of being puzzled, what's going on here. And that means that we have to notice and take real careful examination of what this this passage is saying for jewish people if you have um such a polar opposites descriptions yeah. uh, you have to you're forced to take notice of that yeah so, so so what you should do is you go from the anytime it goes that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. you need to dig deeper yeah um also there is a conjunction uh, of the word ve meaning and, and mm -hmm. uh, that conjunction speaks of, or can speak of a gap in, in time. Right. As well. So, um, so as a result, he would put everything under his feet, um, all under his control. Yep. So that's, the, we could have possibly, whoever put the verse numbers in there could possibly have split started verse six halfway through verse five because the the crowned him with glory and honor you've given him dominion over the works of your that's hands right. you've put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and, and, and all of that that's yeah yeah that's all together. totally it's totally um fit to do that also we have to go to the new testament to verify that what we're saying is true yeah so we'll go to Hebrews chapter two. Um, you might have it on your um, on the screen for us. Uh, I've got I've got it here. We we'll okay. just hope that those watching have got their Bibles. All right. So you want to read that from chapter two, verses five through to nine? Yeah, please do. All right. I have the Hebrew. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, Jesus, obviously, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Mm -hmm. So you see that that's, that idea is permeates through the author of Hebrews actually nailed it. It didn't go on a tangent. It didn't misinterpret yep. it. It didn't go beyond the... The common interpretation actually he nailed it exactly what the scriptures are telling us in the, he yeah. in the original hebrew and um yeah. and where it says you made him for a little while lower than the angels that's that's that, right. that's, the, that's a demotion you, you've thing demoted him yeah. in order to later on promote him so uh, most of the new testament writers uh in quoting the scriptures they 
quoted the Septuagint. True. Yeah. True. So, and, and what a lot of people don't understand with it is when you've got the, the 70 scholars who are translating the Hebrew uh, and where the words are very specific mm-hmm. into Greek, where also yeah. the words are very specific. Yeah. Um, as opposed to English, where the words are just whatever, you know, but they chose specific words to say that. So the the authors of the, or the translators of the Septuagint put in that, you made him for a little while lower than the angels to re-emphasize that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the authors of the Septuagint or the translators uh, carry a lot, they carry a lot of weight because they translated it very early on into Greek before Jesus was born. Mm. They didn't have any um, any reason to be not objective, uh, not objective. This not, is this is two two hundred years before Jesus was right. born is when the Septuagint. So there's no messianic uh, influence in the translation. And also, if back then they would understand certain words to mean certain things. We have to take note of it because over the years we could have lost the understanding of what that word actually meant to them in that time during that period so it would be very important actually to notice and uh, take take real real if we're not sure what the hebrew word really means let's look at the greek word that was used in the septuagint that's right because that's got to give us a clue and it takes us way back before, yeah. you know, back in time when they, they, they've done that. So the, the writer of Hebrews just, he, he says right here that this verse is talking about Jesus. That's right. And it couldn't possibly be talking about anybody else because he's the only one that was highly exalted, yeah. demoted, put down. And then highly exalted again. And then lifted up again. Yeah. Who could it um, possibly be? Other yeah, and, and, and right at the end of uh, verse 9, you know, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that doesn't mean all of mankind. That's right. Yeah. Now also, if you, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting from verse 5 or 6, yeah, I mean that's that's another passage that we just we don't understand there because it talks about um, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and and that's yeah. one of those ones you just go, oh, that's too hard for me to think about. I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you you have to understand how the gospel, uh, the the good news um, starts. It starts off with God choosing to be demoted to be humiliated to become human being um, and yeah. suffering humiliation from um, other mere human beings yeah it's not only them but also from God himself um, the fact that he was willing to become a human being to be humiliated is an astounding truth of the gospel that we seldomly think that that's where the gospel starts. It doesn't start on the cross. It doesn't start when he was resurrected. It started of his incarnation. This is the main important part of the gospel that he chose to become 
one of us, one of the human beings to say. I think it starts even way before that because, you know, you read um, twice in um, in the New Testament, particularly in Revelation, it talks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, it was always God's plan to True. come and die for us. That would be... The, the, the gospel started in the mind of God before he created the universe. It was foretold. It was foretold here yeah. in Psalm 8. It's a, it's a prophecy about the incarnation yeah. that will take place in the future, sometime in the future. So many people teach, and, and I've heard people say it, but, you know, that, that um, the cross was God having to fix the fact that we'd sinned. Like when Adam sinned and God goes, oh my goodness, that's destroyed my perfect creation. What am I going to do? Oh, I know, I'll come down. You know, when you look at the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that doesn't make sense. He was always going to come in the incarnation of a human being. Yes, because once God gave human beings um, the ability to accept him or to reject him, to, to have sovereignty over their choosing um, in that as soon as he, he enabled us to to have a relationship with him meaning he created us in a place where we might have a relationship with him that means that we could reject that yeah. uh, God or we could accept him um, yeah. as soon as we had the ability to reject God uh, God already had to set in place a plan for for what was coming. Um, as yeah. soon as the human as as human beings, you know, if you ask yourself, why is there evil in the world? Did God create evil? Did God made evil possible? Um, and the the question the question is answered by the fact that He created human beings with. The ability to choose to have a relationship with God or to reject God. Yeah. As soon as you reject God, as soon because God is the only source of goodness in this world. Guess what? There will be evil. Yeah. The bad, <laughs> the bad stuff starts to happen. Yeah. You what can't have a relationship. Have a relationship yeah. with uh, with a robot. No. You know? you no. Got, we have to have free will. Uh, yeah, we, we'll get wild. Well, he's sidetracked here. Let's not do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is far. This is the. This is something that I love doing when I sit down with the likes of you and, and with others. Is that you just you can spend hours just getting sidetracked in the gospels and sidetracked with God. There is in these verses in Psalm eight. Uh, there's that time factor, that gap in the middle between the demoting and the exalting and Philippians talks about this as well you know let's, let's read it, Philippians because it's really important yeah. to add on so so Philippians 2 5 to 9 uh have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to but emptied right. himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. 
that's not a new idea. That's that's not. We have to understand. Uh, Paul is not coming up with something completely new. He was actually already um, repeating the things, the ideas that came through the Old Testament. Yeah. Many many times you have that paradox of of um, humiliation, exaltation. You know. And he uses here what you mentioned before: the servant found in Isaiah. He specifically that's mentions right. the word servant. That's right. That's that's uh, also that servant is going to be highly exalted, and yeah. the fact that there is a gap between his humiliation and his exaltation. Remember, those are prophecies. Yeah, those are prophecies in the Old Testament that that points to that time of um, you know ele- um, very significant points in time yeah. where there's a, a significant point in time of easy humiliation. And then a, another significant point in time with his exaltation. Yeah, I mean, we miss that so much, but it's, I mean, God puts it there for us in black and white in the scriptures. We mentioned Joseph before from the dreams right. of being charged. He went through all of that into the prison and everything. Um, David, very similar. He's anointed yes. king by Samuel. And what is it, 15 years? 20 years later. 20 years later. He was actually crowned as king of Israel. That's a Do long that. time to wait. Man, I uh, I thought about it. You know, it's it's actually very um, very significant for us to learn from that. To actually be patient until God gives us uh, delivers to us on the silver plate that which God has promised. You know, if we yep. think about David, he was able to grab that which God has promised him mm. by force. Yep. And remember that in that cave he, he, he could have done you could have in that cave cut the when he cut the the, the rope the, Saul's robe he could have killed yeah. Saul yeah and then yeah, he could, totally he could have let his mate do it another time yeah and he could have totally grabbed the kingdom that was rightfully his right but, but he was know, patient he and he waited yeah that's why the book of Hebrews says we do not yet see everything in subjection to him yeah meaning Yeshua, Jesus, is waiting patiently for God to deliver the kingdom into his hands and not going out and grabbing it. You know, in the in the desert when he was tempted by the devil, he said he showed him all the yeah. kingdoms. He said, I will give it to you, bow down. You can avoid the cross, you can avoid the pay the, the need to be the tempted, humiliation. Paid. Here, here it is, it's rightfully yours, you know. Come. No, yeah. he, he was he was patient. Yeah. Uh, it's just us. We also could decide, hey, this is rightfully mine. I'm going to go and grab it. Uh, and God is teaching us. The, the, the nation of Israel going through the wilderness, their complaints to Moses were, you know, God's brought us out here to kill us. Um, you know, and it's like God says, I am going to take you to the land of milk and honey. That's right. That's my promise. And mm-hmm. what you are saying now is that I'm a liar. Yeah, they weren't it, patient enough to wait yeah. for God to fulfill that which he had promised. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's talked about too in Second uh, Peter. Yeah. People that, you know, the people exactly. go, oh, where's, where's the second where's the coming of your of Messiah? Yeah. yeah, where's the promise of his coming? Since the days, 
uh, of when the fathers fell asleep, everything is going the same way. Yep. Yeah. So actually, that's our our sin as as a Jewish, as a nation. At the time when the visitation actually took place, right? Yeah. There was already um, a sin of um, not being patient for God to fulfill that which He promised. We we gave up the hope of the Messiah coming, and we already started. Um, now yeah. I want you to notice this. We already started building the kingdom ourselves. Because Herod had rebuilt the temple. Herod rebuilt the temple. Yeah. Our systems were all um, oiled and smooth. We had our systems. We had our Sanhedrin. They recited everything. Um, everything went smoothly. People knew how much tax to pay, what they do in the temple, which animals to bring. Messiah, you gotta be careful. You look you be careful was, there, Zohar. That's starting to sound like kingdom now theology. Oh, that's totally was what was had taking place. Look, yeah. One of the reasons why Jesus was rejected, why Yeshua was rejected, is because he was not um one of them. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. And yeah. they tried to make him one. They tried to fit him in. And they had to reject him altogether because he wouldn't fit into their systems, into their kingdom. Oh, dear. Let's hope that doesn't happen with the church. Oh, it with the second coming. There's so much in there. I mean, I was, I was just talking to somebody the other day. Uh, even with the Maccabees around the time of Hanukkah, um, the the Hellenization of the Jewish people, they're trying to be like the world. Around this point, this is when Messiah came. Here's the nation of Israel trying to bring about the kingdom themselves. This is when Messiah came and they missed it. You look at the parallels with the church today, which is very Hellenized, very, very worldly. So many people trying to bring about kingdom now. Let's make the world perfect for Jesus when he comes back. Oh, I'm thinking they're not reading. It's, it's again, it's it's the, those verses from Second Peter, you know. Um, scoffers will come and say, where is the yep. promise of his coming? What is the church teaching? Um, some of the church, contemporary churches teachings is like, this is what I heard myself. Heaven is what you make of it here on earth. And hell yep. is also what you make of it here on earth. Oh, my goodness me. There is no faith in waiting for God to fulfill the promises. How do you get that from reading this? Well, there's you, a you lot. You can't. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion. The um, the verse that, and let's just finish with this. Um, Jesus in Luke 19, yes. when he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which we yes. know happened in 70 AD, uh, and he says this is going to happen to you and the words are because you did not know the time of your visitation, your visitation. Um, yeah. a, 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 implied in that is the fact that you rejected the messiah you should have been looking like uh when we look at the christmas story anna and uh simeon, simeon. in the temple we should have you should have been looking all the signs were there exactly the reason why simeon and anna are there because they stand up like a sore thumb in relation to the their generation, where, while they were waiting patiently, 
coming to a very old age, not giving up, yeah. and yet the rest of the population, uh, the leaders especially, we're talking about, they just gave up the idea of the visitation. Yeah. They weren't waiting patiently. They, the... do, they did not know the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and what are we doing? Exactly. That, that, that's the implied exactly. question, isn't it? Exactly. So if we go right back to Psalm 8, yes. and again, the, the bookmarks or the, or the buns on the burger, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, we got to look at, at God being God, God who brings prophecies and fulfills those prophecies, no matter how long the gap is. I, I, I remember... I remember one time God had promised me um, long before I met Sharon that he had this special woman put aside. And I remember standing outside my flat in Christchurch one time complaining about the fact that, that he hadn't brought her yet. And I said, I said, God, that woman that you have for me, um, can I have her? And basically, I mean, to cut it short, he goes, do, do you want her now or when I think it's best? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is, of course, when he thinks it's best. But we need to be looking for him. Yeah, and we need to be knowing our scriptures. And thank you so much for taking us to, into Psalm eight, um, because we need to know what the scriptures say in the original Hebrew, as opposed to just our English. We need to dig deeper to understand the historical, cultural context of our faith. Absolutely, and you know the glory goes to God in in that psalm. You know, uh, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Yeah. You know, thinking about the fact that he was willing to humble himself yeah. to demote the motion. You know, we all want promotion. We never want the motion. Yeah. But he was willing to go through that humility. And, and, and that just glorifies him even more. Totally. Like, what? why would we be so um, worthy of his visitation? Yeah. Yeah. Zohar, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking with oh. you. Bless you. Thank you very much for this time. Excellent. Zohar Gonan, who is a speaker with Celebrate Messiah New Zealand, and he's available for you if you want to invite him uh, to come around speaking in your home groups or churches or wherever. Uh, you can get a hold of Zohar through Celebrate Messiah. Thanks for joining us on our Know My Faith Monday podcast. See you next time.